Let's pray together and ask God to meet us in the word this morning. Your word is a lamp to our feet and it's a light to our path. What a merciful God you are that you don't leave us in darkness, but you give us this big old spotlight, searchlight, big old light that we can see which way to go and which way not to go. We can see what's happening in the world because of your word. And so, Lord, would you let your word shine bright this morning for each of us now, I pray. Help me to be in sync with your scriptures. Give me the heart that I want to have and need to have uh, and come and work in our midst now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. Well, this morning I want to talk about sorcery and horoscopes and astrology, as you can see from the top of your teaching insert today. And we live in a culture you know, where a lot of people believe in you know, horoscopes and seances and the spirit world and, and all that sort of thing. Here's, here's what a recent Gallup poll found. 20% of the population believes that people can communicate with the dead. 20%. Uh, 25% of people in the United States believe that the position of the planets and the stars determine what's going to happen to you today and tomorrow and the rest of your life. 25% of teens, okay, believe their horoscopes are almost always right, you know. Um, 32% of the population believes that ghosts or spirits come back and visit people here on earth. 70% of the population read their horoscopes. So are some of the stats. In fact, just this last week, you know, the royal wedding, okay, Mercury News. The stars align. Match made in heaven? Astrologers seem to think so. Kate, born January 9th, is a Capricorn. William, born June 21st, is a Cancer. Capricorn is an earth sign. Cancer is a water sign, and apparently they mix well. Aren't you glad you knew that? Okay, so... And then here's a quote from Bob Dylan. This is really interesting. This is about four years ago. He said, Rolling Stone magazine interviewed him. He said, astrologically, you're dealing with a different day every day of the week. Every day is a different color. A different planet rules it. You could say the same thing. You could feel the same way. You could write the same thing. But if it's on a Tuesday, it's going to be different than if it comes out on Friday. That's just a fact. You can ask any astrologer. It's really widespread. In fact, I remember I was talking to a, a real estate agent. This is years ago, and I was working real estate, and um, I was sharing the gospel with him. And and he, you know, he was he could tell I was talking about spiritual things. So he wanted to share uh, a spiritual experience that he'd had. And he said, "My most important spiritual experience was after my grandfather had died. Uh, he came back to me two or three times, and it was just deeply moving and 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 peace giving to me." So, is there anything to that stuff? I mean, what's going on with horoscopes and seances and the spirit world and astrology? What's behind all that stuff and and what does God say about it? That's what I want to address this morning. And to take a look, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 47. Isaiah 47. Now, if you need a Bible, we'd like you to have a Bible that you can open up and follow along with us. We are passionate here about studying the scriptures, and so we'd like you to like to bring you a Bible right now. So raise your hand. Don't be bashful. Isaiah 47 is on page 607 in the Bibles that we're passing out. The book of Isaiah was written about 700 B.C., and from this chapter, you're going to see that 
horoscopes and astrologers and, and spells and enchantments have been around for a long time. And in Isaiah 47, we're going to see what God says about them. So let's start with this first question. The main thrust of this chapter is what God says he's going to do to Babylon. So what's God going to do to Babylon? That's the topic of the whole chapter. And look, let's start with verses 1 through 3. Here God is addressing Babylon as if she was a young princess who's been seated on a throne, supreme over everything, and he addresses her as if she was a young princess. Look at verses 1 through 3. God says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind flour. So he's saying she's going to be subjected to slavery. That's the work that slaves do. Take the millstones and grind flour. Put off your veil. Strip off your robe. Uncover your legs. Pass through the rivers. You'd wrap your robe up around you as you walk through these irrigation ditches is what the slaves would have to do to clear them out. Your nakedness shall be uncovered and your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance, says God speaking. I will take vengeance, and I will spare no one. Then verse 5. Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called the mistress of kingdoms. And then skip down to verse 11. But evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away, Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. So here God is saying that he is going to bring destruction upon Babylon. He's going to take this nation that has an empire, which is ruling the known world, and he's going to destroy this nation, take them from their position of royalty, ruling over the whole known world, and they're going to become conquered and become slaves. And that happened in 538 B.C. when Persia conquered Babylon and, uh, and they became slaves, uh, a slave state of Persia. Now, why would God do this? Why would God bring such destruction upon this empire of Babylon? Well, let me just give you some perspective. Think about all that God had done for Babylon. You've got to start here. Here, Babylon was in this position of preeminence. And what we've read earlier in Isaiah, and we know this from all the scriptures, is that the reason Babylon had everything that she had was because God had given her everything she had. Her preeminence was a gift from God. I mean, God had given her life. Everybody who lived in the Babylonian Empire had been created by God, given life, given bodies, given harvests, given wealth, given political power, given military power, given dominance over the whole area. Every single benefit that Babylon had received was given to her by God himself. God's sovereign over everything. It's because of God that Babylon had this position of preeminence. Everything Babylon had was a gift from God. Babylon owed God everything. So what did Babylon do? Here's, here's, here's God who'd given her everything she has. And what Babylon did was she just simply ignored God, turned her back on God, and took credit for everything that she had herself. I did this. I accomplished this. I'm supreme over not just the world, I'm supreme over everything in reality. You can see this. Look at verse 7. You said, I shall be mistress forever. This was her boastful claim. So that you did not lay these things to heart or remember their end. Look at verse 8. 
Now therefore hear this, you lovers of pleasures, who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. Now, if you've been with us studying Isaiah, who is it in Isaiah who says, I am, and there is no one besides me? Who says that? God says that. God is the only one who can say, I am, and there's no one besides me. I'm supreme over everything, but Babylon is saying, I am, and there's no one besides me. Look at verse 10. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. That is, there's no one above me who will evaluate me. There's no one above me to whom I will give an account. I rule everything. No one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray, and you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. So the reason God was judging Babylon was because Babylon had responded to God with pride and boastfulness and total deception. Here, God had given Babylon every good gift that she'd received. She knew that clearly, just plain as day. We all know that deep down inside. But she chose to believe that she was the one who had accomplished all these things. She was going to take credit for everything. She's supreme over everything else. I am... And there is no one else besides me. I am superior to everything else that is. That's what she's saying. And so because of her pride, God said, I'm going to destroy her. And it's exactly what happened. 538 BC. So what does God say he's going to do to Babylon? Destroy her. Why is God going to destroy Babylon? Because of her blind pride. Now let's dig a little deeper. What's behind this pride? What's behind Babylon's pride? See, every human being, the Bible teaches, lives by faith in something. Every human being, religious or not, spiritual or not, every human being is trusting something which they believe will give them the security and the satisfaction that you crave. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you have something that you're trusting to give you security and satisfaction. So what was Babylon relying on? What was she relying on that gave her such a sense of invincible superiority? I'm going to be mistress over all the nations forever. What what was she relying on that gave her this sense of invincible, sovereign superiority? The answer might surprise you. Look at verse 9. God says, these two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day. The loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure. In spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. So what she was trusting was sorceries and enchantments. Look at verses 11 through 13. God says, but evil shall come upon you which you will not know how to charm away. Magical Charm and incantations is what's referred to here. Disaster shall fall upon you for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly of which you know nothing. And then verse 12 here, God is speaking sarcastically. Stand fast in your enchantments and your many sorceries with which you've labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. Verse 13, you are wearied with your many counsels. 
Let them stand forth and save you, those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. Speaking of astrologers there. Okay, so picture Babylon. The the picture gets a little bit more concrete what exactly Babylon has been doing here. God has provided for Babylon everything that she has. Gave her life to begin with, gave her her harvests, gave her her wealth, gave her her political wisdom, gave her her military might. God gave her everything that she has. And she turned from God and she chose to trust the stars and the planets and these astrologers and the magicians. Remember the book of Daniel? Remember remember the book of Daniel? The king had a dream and what did he do? He says, call the magicians. Right? I want them to tell me not just what the dream meant, but tell me what the dream was without you knowing from any other way. And the magicians were all calling, they were all trembling because they couldn't do it. But see, the, in Babylon, major emphasis on magic, magicians, soothsayers, that sort of thing. And so that's exactly what's happening here is that she is relying on magic, enchantments, sorcery, astrologers, fortune tellers, She's relying on all of this and she is so confident in those things. She's so trusting in those things. She's so certain of those things that she believes these things will keep her going as ruler forever. She's invincible. She will continue to dominate everything. But look at what God says in verses 14 and 15. That is not going to be the case. Verse 14. Behold they, speaking of the astrologers from the previous verse, those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, behold they are like stubble. The fire of my judgment consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. There's the flame of his judgment. No coal for warming oneself is this. No fire just to sit before. In other words, this fire of judgment that's coming, this is not some little tame fire that, oh, how nice, I'm chilly, let me warm my hands. This will be fire from God and the astrologers are like stubble, they'll be burned up. By God. Verse 15. Such to you are those with whom you have labored. And that word in this chapter refers to laboring and sorceries and enchantments from their youth. Who've done business with you from your youth. They wander about, each in his own direction. They're not even all together. Someone says this, someone says this, they're all wandering about. There's no one to save you. So God says that these sorcerers and astrologers are not going to be able to save Babylon. The sorcerers and the astrologers, along with all of Babylon, are going to be destroyed by God's judgment. Okay, so let's just kind of sit back and and get the big picture here. From Genesis to Revelation, all through the scriptures, what we read is that God alone is God. God alone is creator. I mean, this is such a crucial, fundamental thing to get into our minds. God is alone creator. There was a time where there was nothing except God from eternity past. God alone is creator. He spoke and then everything else is created. So God alone is creator. Everything else in existence is created. Massive difference. God alone is creator. Everything else is created. God controls everything. The stars and the planets control nothing. Nothing. God determines your future. Being Scorpio or Capricorn does not determine your future. 
God determines your future. He knows the future exhaustively. He controls the future exhaustively. God, because of what he's done in Jesus Christ, will always help us when we come to him in Christ. Even though we've been sinful because of Jesus, we trust him. God will always help us. Sorceries and enchantments will never help us. Because God alone is God. We are not God. The stars are not God. The planets are not God. God alone is God. You can take everything else, everything else is created, everything else is under his control, everything else is ruled by God, God alone is uncreated, the one who rules everything. Massive difference here. But Babylon refused to acknowledge God. Through creation, as Paul says in Romans 1, Babylon was was clearly shown who God was, and she simply refused. And she says, I'm going to trust planets. I'm going to trust stars. I'm going to trust magical charms. Ignore God. I'm going to trust these things. And so can you feel how wicked it was for Babylon to knowingly turn her back on God and how just it was for God to bring judgment upon Babylon? Can you feel how wrong it was for Babylon? What she did. Now, let's not be too quick to judge Babylon, though. Okay? Because we've all done what Babylon is accused of doing here. Because God has shown himself clearly to each of us, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, through creation. We've all known God's creator. We're created. We've all known that. I mean, I didn't, I had nothing to do with having my life. He's given everything to me. You too. We've all known that. And none of us, None of us has responded to God the way he deserves with thanking him, depending on him, obeying him, worshiping him, living for his glory, loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's not one person in this room who has responded to God the way he rightly deserves as our creator, our good, loving, compassionate, gift-giving creator God. None of us has. And so just like Babylon I have faced God's judgment and you have faced God's judgment. So we can't be too, you know, feeling too superior to Babylon here because we're all in the same boat. But here's the good news. What the scriptures teach us is that God loves us. In his heart, he has great compassion for us even though we have knowingly turned our backs on him. And that's why God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Fully Man, Jesus was and is, and fully God. God came to earth in the person of Jesus. And Jesus lived those 30 plus years a life that was shining with God's power. This is God power. Anybody who saw him could see. And he lived a life that was just displaying God love the way he had compassion, the way he cared, the way he showed mercy, how he welcomed kids, how he rebuked the Pharisees. This is God kind of love. And he spoke God truth. Everybody said, this is a teaching like we've never heard before. He's speaking with authority, like he is the one who knows these things and says these things because he was. So Jesus lived an amazing life and then he died on the cross, just like we were singing about earlier during worship. Jesus died on the cross to pay for how we have turned our backs on God and refused to acknowledge who God is. Jesus took upon himself. God came to earth and God was punished himself for how we've wronged and dishonored God. God, can you believe that? 
God came to earth to be punished for what we deserve from God, for having turned our backs on him. And then he rose from the dead, like we saw last Sunday at Easter, to conquer the power of death. And so, so here's the deal. In Jesus, God holds out to us, he holds out to you, all the forgiveness you will ever need. All the forgiveness from God you will ever need, he holds out to you in Jesus Christ. Here, in my son, all the forgiveness you'll ever need. God holds out to us in Jesus all the sin-breaking power, all the lust-destroying power and the pride-crushing power and the impatience-dissolving power in Jesus. God holds out to you all the sin-destroying power you will ever need. He will start a work of making you more and more and more righteous, more and more beautiful in how you love and how you're patient. It'll be growing until finally you're completely freed from sin at the final day. But he holds out to you all the sin-destroying power you need. And in Jesus, God holds out to you all the guidance you will ever need, all the knowledge of your future that you'll ever need, all the wisdom that you'll ever need. In Jesus, God holds out to you all the security that you'll ever long for, all the heart satisfaction you'll ever crave. God says here, in Jesus, is everything you will ever need. Have you trusted him? Are you trusting him? Are you walking with him? Have you experienced the forgiveness and the sin-breaking power and the heart satisfaction that he offers to you? That's what God's done. Okay, so, what should we do then instead of turning to astrology and seances? Okay, I'm sitting you up. Y'all know what the answer is now, right? Okay, I'm kind of trying to set you up for this. But I want to, let me show you in the word. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18. It's right here. You know what the answer is, but I want you to see it. This is page 161 in the Bibles we passed out. Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 14. This is such a powerful passage. Deuteronomy 18, start in verse 9. Look at what God says. Through Moses. He's speaking to the nation of Israel as they're about to enter the promised land. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. That's one of the ways that they worshipped. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium, or a necromancer, someone who contacts spirits, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations, which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers, and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. So do you see all these things that God lists here? He does not want his people to be listening to those things. So what should God's people be listening to? Okay, start in verse 13, and then there should not be a big break between verses 14 and 15. But let's start in verse 13 and read verse 15 also. Verse 13, you shall be blameless before the Lord your God, For these nations which you are about to dispossess, they listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, 
The Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. You see that? Don't listen to fortune tellers and mediums and necromancers and astrologers. Listen to this prophet that I will raise up from among your brethren. Listen to him. Who is that prophet? If you fast forward to Acts chapter 3, as Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, he quotes Deuteronomy 18.15. He says this prophet is Jesus. All through the Old Testament, God's going to raise up a prophet like you've never seen before. God's going to raise up the Messiah. God's going to raise up a suffering servant. He's going to raise up the ideal king. It's all pointing towards, leading towards Jesus coming. And so Peter says, Jesus is the prophet that God predicted back in Deuteronomy 18.15, the one whom you've crucified. And they were crushed in their heart because they knew it. Four chapters later, Acts chapter 7, Stephen is preaching to more people. He quotes Deuteronomy 18.15. This is Jesus whom you've crucified. They were crushed to the heart as well. Actually, they weren't crushed to the heart. They killed him. They didn't like it. You're accusing us here. We don't like what you're saying. But both Peter and Stephen quote from Deuteronomy 18.15. Jesus is the prophet whom God raised up from the brothers. He's fully man, but God raised him up. He's also fully God. So that's what God is saying in Deuteronomy 18. Don't listen to fortune tellers and diviners. Listen to Jesus, the Messiah. So here's the deal. If we look to horoscopes or palm readers or mediums, I guess you'd call them, for information about ourselves or about our lives, or about our futures, the problem with that is that we are ignoring the one who has all the information about you, and your life, and your future. That's the problem. You're ignoring the one who knows all these things. I mean, think of it like this. So Friday, I was studying this, work on this, and I, I thought, I, I could have gone into Friday looking up my horoscope, and, and on Friday, my horoscope was, social activities bring joyful memories to the surface, and you might enjoy awakened dedication to a career objective. Okay, so, but just, just get this. So, because some of you read your horoscopes almost every day, okay? I would guess. You know, 70% of the population does, all right? So I could have gone into the day thinking about the fact that, okay, let's, let's anticipate some social activities bringing joyful memories to the service. Maybe there will be a renewed dedication to some career objective. So I could have gone into, into the day thinking about that. But if I'm thinking about that going into the day, I'm not going into the day thinking of what Jesus Christ has said about my day. Right? Because Jesus Christ is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He knows exactly what I need to know for that day. What he says about my day Friday is 100% truth. Not This other stuff has no basis in objective reality. So I could have gone into the day, instead of listening to, you know, anticipate social activities, happy memories, career objectives, I could have gone into the day listening to what Jesus said, like... Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. I will be with you always. Or like, if you confess your sins, I'll be faithful and just to forgive all your sins and to cleanse you. Or like, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or like, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to everyone generously and without reproach, and the wisdom will be given to him. Or like, whoever saves his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Or work heartily as for the Lord. Work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. And the list just goes on and on. 
See, if you start off your day getting the horoscope in your mind of what you're thinking about for the day, the tragedy of that is that you are ignoring the one who has truth to say to you about your day. There will be true truth. And it's got its basis in who he is as God and his reality. And all these things that Jesus said, they're 100% true because he is in sovereign control of everything. Perfect, loving words, perfectly true words, perfectly life-giving words. So the tragedy of listening to these other things in Deuteronomy 18 is because God wants you not to listen to them. He wants you to listen to the prophet that God has raised up from the brothers, namely Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, and everything he speaks is 100% true truth. Okay, now, what are some questions that this stirs up in your mind? It's like, yeah, but, or how about this, or... What are some questions that this raises? I mean, it's a big topic, and I, not that I can answer all the questions, but maybe somebody else here can. What are some questions this raises? It, yeah, is it from Satan? Is it real? Um, here's what I think. Maybe somebody else can weigh in. Um, I, I wouldn't say that it's all real in the sense of from Satan supernaturally or that it's all just made up by people. I think a lot of people make stuff up horoscopically or, you know, palm readingly or whatever it might be. I think there's charlatans out there who make it up. I also know from the scriptures that there's people who are tapped into evil spirits and who will say things to you that could, could actually even be true at some level, right? But you've got to understand, any truth you get that's not from God through Jesus Christ supernaturally, even if there's an element of truth, you say, whoa, that's poison covered with sugar. Because Satan doesn't mind if he gives you a little bit of truth that maybe seems to help you out with some situation as long as he's got you. And so it's either charlatanry or it's sugar-coated poison. Those are the options. So what, anybody else on that? What do you think? Does that, that make sense? It's, it's a good question. Um, we're told never to pursue that. Okay, Bible says don't ever pursue that, right? So we should never pursue that. So my, my real estate agent friend, um, what was happening with him? Um, I don't know. There is one case in 1 Samuel 28. Remember the case where Saul has been asking God for wisdom and God didn't answer him because of Saul's sin. Saul had unconfessed, conscious, unrepentant sin in his heart. God was not answering him. So what did Saul do? He went to a medium. And said, would you call up Samuel, my friend who's died, and so he can give me some counsel here. And it's a little bit cryptic, but I read the ESV study Bible again this morning, which is always the authority in these things, right? Okay. Uh, made sense to me. It sounds like Samuel did come to Saul and basically said, what are you doing? Okay. God has not answered you because of your sin. So there's a case where Saul did what was wrong, and in that case, God had Saul, uh, sorry, Saul did what was wrong. In that case, God had Samuel in the spirit come and tell Saul that what he was doing was wrong. So should we pursue that then since maybe it was really Samuel that came back? What does the Bible say? It just says no. Don't ever do that. And I think that people like maybe my real estate agent friend, I wouldn't need to say, well, he's just was kind of in a weird place. He may have had a spirit come back to him that's a real spirit, a demonic spirit. All we know from the Bible is we don't go there 
That's off limits for us. That will never be helpful. In fact, I should state it much more strongly. That is absolutely 100% forbidden from God. Not because he's afraid. Oh my, they, they might find the dark secrets of the universe if they go into that. You know, God's like, oh no, they might find out what's really happening. No! It's that it's deceptive. You probably have friends, maybe some of you, maybe not all of you, but some of you have friends who have moved into the dark side of the spirit world apart from Jesus, moved into the dark side of the spirit world and ended up uh, in terrible trouble. Anybody have friends like that where you know? I do. Because it starts sweet and it ends up bitter and then it ends up enslavement. Well, the verse that Tom just read from Deuteronomy 18 you know, would be the starting point and that is God just simply says, don't. So you might, isn't it harmless for this person? God would say, No. I don't see where else to go on that. Does that make sense? And then plus, why have that stuff in your mind when you can have God's words and God's truth about your day in your mind? So God just simply says no, those. That's the bottom line. Deuteronomy 18. So, good question. Okay, here's where I want to end up. Let's say that you're uh, at work tomorrow and somebody uh, says, was all excited because they shared with you what their horoscope read for the day. Okay? What might be a helpful thing to say? And you can wrestle with this in your home groups. Because you will have, how many of you ever had somebody say that they were excited about what their horoscope said? Anybody? You will if you haven't, okay. Um, and again, a lot depends on how much of a relationship you have with this person, in terms of what she would say. But, I mean, my encouragement, what I, what I might say, if I knew the person had some level of relationship so that it wasn't like totally out of left field, I might say something like, you know, here's, here's the approach that I have found helpful. This is, this is what I'm, I'm finding really helpful, and that is instead of going into the day with the words of, of a horoscope in my mind, what I find helpful and life-giving and strengthening and encouraging is to go into my day with the words of Jesus Christ in my mind. Have you ever thought about that? And have you ever considered, you know, so just, I mean, just start some dialogue. So um, in terms of, of how that could be a, a way to respond and to give somebody an answer that, that I wouldn't, hopefully wouldn't sound condemning, but just would say, okay, but you know, here's something that I've been approaching. And then if you have a habit of reading the horoscope, you need to stop. I mean, God's word is just really, really clear. And like Leslie said, you may feel like, well, it's, it's just kind of entertainment. It's just kind of harmless. God's word says it's not. Okay? And we don't know better than, than God. So stop. And instead, take those extra two or three minutes and fill your mind, fill your bandwidth with the truth that you know is 100% from God. And then, if you're not somebody who reads a horoscope, you're thinking, oh, cool, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like, this sermon doesn't touch me at all, I'm happening. Okay, well, <laughs> how are you doing in terms of, of you starting off the day with God's words filling your mind? What do you head into the day with? Dow Jones average numbers? You know, your to-do list mostly? Okay, all right. Or do, do, you, do you go into the day with Jesus' words about your day? and who he promises to be to you, and what he promises to do for you, and what he calls you to be and do during that day. So even if you don't even touch horoscopes, okay, still feel convicted about some things it is. Isn't that my job? You know? Uh, get precious time with the Lord Jesus in the morning. He's there waiting for you. Even if it's just like five minutes, even if like you're totally not a morning person, takes hours for a coffee to kick in, and you get more time later on, do that too, but, but start off your day just focusing on Jesus Take me to this day. Here we go. Help me. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your perfection, for your righteousness. Thank you that you're going to rejoice to do me good today and then head into your day that way. Doesn't that sound good? Okay, let's stand. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd give us wisdom. I mean, we're all got different backgrounds in this. Some, some here have been deeply involved in 
these sorts of things and others have absolutely no interest at all. But Lord, I pray that you would bring your power right now. What we want to do, Lord Jesus, is listen to you. Your words. Your 100% true words. And I pray that Mercy Hill Church, that we'd be a people who, at the beginning of every day, see who you are, trust who you are, meet you in prayer, meet you in the scriptures, and receive all that you promised to be to us, and go into the day on that rock-solid foundation. Go into the day trusting your promises, knowing your fellowship with our hearts satisfied in you, with every burden cast upon you, every fear given over to you. So I pray, Lord, you'd strengthen us in that this week. And then I pray for opportunities this week maybe to talk to people at the workplace or in our neighborhoods about this. And that we could learn about where they're at and why they pursue those things and, and share the good news of Jesus. So come and do that, Lord, I pray this week. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.